At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Horror Pickup Podcast. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> Just wanted to start off by saying thanks to everyone that has stopped by and listened to the podcast. I'm hoping to be putting more of this out. I mean, things have been pretty hectic, but here we go. We are on to part seven of can anybody help me i'm on a bus that refuses to stop and i don't know where i am with the departure of the winged mechanical monster i allow myself to crash down into a seat to run my hands over my dust spattered face i can't take much more of this these adrenaline pumping bursts of intensity i let out a laugh as i realized how insanely brave i just was to face such a terror staring down the dark titan the laugh however, melts quickly into a sob. Leah slumps back into her seat herself, staring out into nothing with an expression of deep thought across her face, and my brother rushes to my side at once, crouching down beside me. The man who calls himself my brother, at least. I squeeze my eyes tight shut for a moment. Fuck. The words of the machine have gotten into my head. He was so convincing. The machine. Matetro. He knew exactly what to say to play my fears, my insecurities, and my concerns. I open my eyes and look into his, the eyes of my brother. These, at least, are as young as I remember them being. I want to trust him. I want to believe in him with my full heart. But the damage is done. Doubt, to my dismay, has settled in. We pass a lone lamppost in the desert and its shadow passes fast across Ryan's face. Are you okay? he asks. Honestly, no. Not really. He nods. Yeah, that's understandable. But you know he was lying, don't you? That's what he does. I don't love playing the hero. I'm here because I love you. And I'm here because finding you was the right thing to do. The guilt was maddening, but deserved. It's my fault you're even here, so... He shrugs and rubs the back of his head, and for a second I see my little brother, the teenager, as he once was. 
He's so different now, marked by scars. They run through his eyebrows and down his cheeks, across his neck. This is him, I force myself to believe. He went through this for me. Only for you, though, yes. I glance down to the shining silver cross that hangs around my brother's neck. Who is Christy, Rye? I asked him. Rye pulls back in size, not in frustration, just in sadness, maybe. Someone very dear to me, he replied simply. Lacking the energy to probe this further, I instead just turn away. I look at Leah, sat in the seat beneath the bus's remaining roof as the desert scrolls by through the windows behind her. The edges of her hair and shoulders are tinged in orange. Perhaps feeling my gaze, she looks up to meet it. She smiles, sadly. You were incredible, Yaz. Just now, the way you spoke to him, you were so, so brave. I just sat there with my mouth closed, like an idiot. I wanted to defend myself and you, but I, I couldn't find the words. I'm really sorry. This is all so, so crazy. It's been so long since anyone has given me any real praise. A compliment. I ache to reach out and cling to it and hold to it, to absorb it and soak in the kindness. But whilst the doubt regarding Rai has been merely sprinkled like dust, my concerns with Leah have taken a deep root. As desperate as I am for this girl to be my friend, this girl who, to be honest, is so similar to myself, the way I used to be back when I actually had actual peers who cared about my well-being, back when I was cool and interesting, as desperate as I am to trust her, I just can't. Not anymore. The way the machine spoke to her, the things it said, the enduring fact that she knew about this world before me. Rai said that Matatra lies, but what if Rai is wrong? What is Leah hiding from me? She has reasonable explanations for all your concerns. She saved you from jumping from the bus and into the watery wall of the Leviathan. But Matetro said that you'd be safer off the bus. Is he right? Fuck. I wrap my knuckles against my forehead. My head hurts. My throat is still death dry. I reach out for one of our bottles of water and take another swig. And as I do so, my stomach rumbles loudly. I don't even care. I'm way past the point of embarrassment. Ride draws back and casts an eye over the crumpled packets of chips and cookies. Seems like you guys haven't had much to eat. Doesn't look like you a great deal in your crate, to be honest. I can get these cans open for us at least. He hunkers down in the aisle and draws a knife from his satchel. He unsheaths it and stabs it into the lid of one of the cans at an angle, working it steadily and carefully around until he is able to empty the food into a little army-style mess tin. My stove is out of gas, I'm afraid. Might find some more canisters in the Axis Mundi, but for now... It's going to have to be cold, if that's okay. He offers it to me, along with a little metal fork. Looks like a simple tomato-based ravioli. I only have the one tin, he says apologetically, turning to Leah. So you guys will have to share. Leah puts out a hand. I'm really not hungry, but thank you. Save some for me if you like, Yaz, and I'll eat later. I am hungry, so I nod to her and thank my brother and start to greedily munch it down. It's not half bad, actually. It's almost warm. I offer some to Rye, and we pass it back and forth, sharing what sustenance there is. Probably best to save the other cans. 
the buzzer goes off one more time before we depart City 2. If the shattered, skeletal remains of lampposts and endless desert can be, even be called a city, that is. We're still eating when that happens, and Lee and I both start an alarm, but Rai puts out another hand. He swallows his mouthful and rises to a stand. This one shouldn't take long, hopefully. Be ready to hold your breath so when I give the signal. Hold our breaths? He has jumped onto one of the seats before the speaker has even finished its indecipherable cracking. Though I swear I picked out the word memories. Rye swings round his satchel, and the sky's orange glints off the silver buttons on along the straps. He reaches in and draws from inside a shining gun, a revolver of some kind. Maybe. I'm not great with weapons. Jesus, Rye! I say to him, but he doesn't respond. He closes an eye, and with that impeccable balance, he holds himself in place and looks down the barrel. I follow the sights. Something approaches from the ruins of an iron shack out in the desert. A roughly child-sized, bird-like machine, flying, like Matetro. Its wings are proportionally larger, but overall this machine seems to be far smaller than its predecessor. Rye mutters something under his breath. Then, a little louder, he says, Cover your ears. Lee and I do just that. There's no way he's going to shoot that thing from here, surely. With that thing, it's too far away. But he fires. The noise reverberates angrily around the bus, and the leftmost wing of the machine is clipped. The thing lets out a screech as its flight pattern is bitterly disrupted. It starts leaking oil across the sands and twists and spirals out of control. Fuck, not good enough. It's still going to hit the bus. Hold your breaths. Rye bellows and fires again. This bullet tears right through the body of the machine with an explosion of sparks, and the screeching stops at once. The machine's trajectory is set, however, and as it falls, it crashes hard into the side of the bus. The impact releases a shower of bolts and little gears, and something else, too. A great and sudden billow of black-purple smoke. A watery cloud. One that is largely lost behind us as the bus speeds away. But a little of its wisps still seep through the windows and over our immediate surroundings. There are more windows that are shattered and smashed than ones that aren't now. Rye looks pointedly between us, stashing away the gun and holding his nose. Tapping his throat with his free hand, the message is clear and we follow it. Well... I try, at least. I hold my breath for as long as I can, honestly. I really do. I feel my face turning red as I clench my fists again and again, over and over. My lungs start to ache. The desert rolls by, and we pass the melted, tireless remains of what might once have been a tractor, half buried in the sands beneath an enormous sign. Now leaving City 2. City 3? 70 miles and accompanied, as always, by a string of faded Japanese text. That smoke must have dissipated by now. I can't see it anywhere, and I need to breathe. I need air. I look from Leah to Rai, but he just furrows his brow and taps his throat. I bounce my foot rapidly against the bus floor. Air. Just one breath. One quick breath. Reluctantly, I open my mouth and allow some in. I have definitely missed the worst of the fumes. That's my first thought. There's no visible trace of the smoke around us at all, and the great holes in the bus had, I had been hoping, largely blown the smoke away. 
They hadn't been entirely successful, however, is my second thought, because I do inhale something. The very tail end of the gas, but it's enough for me to slump right back in my seat. All of a sudden, it is as if I am floating through water. I can see Rye jump down from the seats and approach me, but he's moving so slowly, so damn slowly. And that familiar orange tinge in the world around us is replaced by a glittering pale purple. It's beautiful at first. Beautiful until I see Courtney's face in the shadows. I try to turn to look, but my head, it's so heavy, so unfairly heavy, all of a sudden, and there she is again, in the shadows, on the opposite side. I try to turn back, the shadows blend, and I find myself at school. I'm playing ice hockey. This is right back when I first moved here. I played the sport for my previous school, and my dad made me try out for the new team. I remember this moment. I remember it too well. Courtney is racing towards me. She's going to knock right into me and I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall and break my collarbone in the process. That's what I get for scoring a goal, I guess. And this isn't even the worst part. The worst part is that I'm smiling. I can feel the muscles in my face and try as I might. I can't change them. I can't alter the memory. I'm smiling because I hate confrontation. I see her come towards me. I see the malice in her face. And I still want to give her the benefit of the doubt. My first instinct is to play the submissive and to try and defuse the situation. Maybe if I smile, she won't see me as a threat. But all the smile serves to do is intensify the humiliation when she knocks me down to the ice with a juddering crack. She's going to make a joke now to one of her friends. I can feel it sting prematurely. But it's here that the memory fades. The scenes around me shimmer and waver like steam as I realize that my head is pressed against glass, not ice. I'm not wearing my hockey gear. The purple tinge fades and the orange hue of the sky returns. The, the cool of the rink is a lost to the claustrophobic warmth of the bus. Yes, you okay? Rai says. His voice doesn't seem to be synced with his lips. I groan and close my eyes tight, shut for a moment, leaning forward. Cautiously, I open them again, and I see them a little clearer, Leah and Rai looking over with me with concern. Yeah, I murmur. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I held for as long as I could. I thought all that stuff had evaporated. Yeah, I'm sorry too. I should have explained what it was beforehand. I, it just... I, it doesn't sound so scary when you describe it. And I thought if I did, so you guys wouldn't take it seriously. So what is it? Leah asks him. He grimaces. The smoke draws up painful memories. Or happy memories sometimes, I think, but warped into nightmares. Plays them over and over again, spinning a labyrinth. One that you have to work your way to find out. Believe me, it's, it's hell. He squeezes my knee and then pulls back and away to double check his gun. Once again... I'm the only one targeted, it would seem, I mutter, and I'm pretty sure that Leah hears. We exchange looks. We say nothing further, but meaning is passed between us like electricity. She actually looks hurt, and I am struck by a wave of guilt. You really want to do this, Yaz? You really want to drive away the only non-relative friend you've made in three years? Leah turns away. How come you didn't use that thing on the machine, Ryan? The speaking one. I mean, Matatro. I don't have that many bullets. 
anymore, and I haven't been able to find replacements. Seemingly satisfied with what he sees, he stashes the weapon away for a second time, and sometimes it's better not to fire. Chrissy stopped me using that thing on the train, and it saved my damn life. Train? Leah repeats, and Rai hesitates. Rai, please, just tell us, how did you get here? How long have you been here? And who is Christy? How did Tatro knew who she was? Questions, questions, questions. Rai rubs his gloved hand across his forehead. He looks remarkably old all of a sudden, even beyond his years, stretched and wearied and well-traveled, to say the least of his journeys. He sits in silence for a long-ass time. We watch the desert waste shimmer by beyond the broken glass. Christy, he says eventually, his voice clear but gravelly, is the first girl I met on the train. Five years after your disappearance, yes. Five years after I signed you up on this hell. I shivered. The thought that there might well exist out there in a world which our parents have lost both their children is a disturbing and upsetting one. Lost to this poisoned land. The story of the train is a long and disquieting one, so I will save its bulk for another time, but to put it simply, it is yet another way to travel between worlds. I tried signing myself up for the very bus at first, you know, but I couldn't do it. Try as I might, I just couldn't find that fucking form. And I searched for years, he sighs. The train is unrelated entirely to this place, I believe. The two are not directly linked in any kind of meaningful way, and I tell you what else, it's hard as fuck to even get on board, and it's harder still to keep your nerve once on it. He carefully draws off his glove and shows us the back of his hand, marked there is an intricate scar, one that Raj has surely carved himself. It looks vaguely like some kind of ancient rune, a rough R-shape comprised of four straight lines. Tickets are paid in blood, is my understanding, he murmurs, some painful memory no doubt returning to him as he allows his eyes to wander to the shape of the scar. He raises his gaze. Anyway, I boarded the train in hopes that it would lead me here, yes, to you. And the folks who run the train don't like noise. No disturbances, that sort of thing. I didn't know this at first, and I found myself in an altercation about a week into my journey. A week? I reply. You were on the train for a week? Ride chuckles dryly. I was on it for a hell of a lot longer than that, yes. A hell of a lot longer. And I nearly fired the gun barely seven days into my trip. Had I done so, I likely wouldn't be sitting across from the two of you now. Christy stopped me. She calmed me down. She saved me. He draws in a deep and ragged breath. I can tell that this is painful for him to recall. We got to talking. She was riding to ride to try to find her sister, a girl who got lost following some foolish, misguided personal ritual. He shakes his head. The things we do. The engine rumbles. The bus drives ever onwards down the length of this bendless road through the barren of the sands. We saw some incredible things, you know, Chrissy and I. For years we traveled, from world to world. We fought the silver tide on the coast of an impossibly black cliff, beneath a sky of swirling gold. He smiles in fond memory. There's a lighthouse keeper there that still owes me a favor, in fact. I listen, confused. 
but enraptured. Christy was amazing. From start to finish, we fell in love, of course. I asked her to marry me in a realm of shim shimmering tendons, in a place where great veins flowed like rivers through the earth. He reaches up to the cross around his neck, and we did, we did find her sister. We saved her amidst the rush of the storm, on the head of a living mountain. I can still hear its roars, sometimes loud above the thunder when I try to sleep at night. But after we returned her home safely, Christy chose to stay. She chose to stay with me. I had helped her find her sister, she said, and she owed it to me to help me find mine. So we traveled onwards, station to station, world to world, until at last it brought us here, to the shattered remains of the so-called New Eden. My first journey on this very bus was with Christy. The second, too. He rubs his chin. I'm rambling. This isn't what you asked. I'm sorry. Basically, yes, Christy was killed during one of these tests. We were helping a boy, the youngest we'd seen. He couldn't have been older than 11. His jaws tightened. Christy died defending me, fixing one of my mistakes, as she so often did. And she was torn from the bus, killed in seconds, I'm sure of it. I would have leapt after her had she not made me promise to help the boy. We'll get him home, Ryan, she said. Promise me we'll get him home. Rye taps his dusty knuckles against his head and forces the words to keep coming, strained as they are. I doubt he's ever had to recall these memories before, not quite like this. That kid wouldn't have stood a chance without me, so I kept my promise. I got him through the tests. And when I was finally able to send him on his way, I built Christy a shrine in my grief in the Axis Mundi. A shrine to Christy, that fucking speaking bastard machine claims that she was alive at that point, that she was, fuck, that she was calling out for me. Rye trails off and rises to a sudden stand, fist clenched. He gathers himself and looks down at me, his eyes wet. Metatro lies. He lies. He lies. And he lies. I did not abandon Christy. I kept my promise. There's no way she survived the fall from the bus. Not in the state she was in. There was no way. He shakes his head. He sounds as if he's convincing himself more than anyone else. There's just no way. My heart goes out to him. I reached out a tentative hand, and I gently squeeze his arm. Leah offers a sympathetic smile. Rye looks out at the wasteland. The wind ruffling his hair. The orange light of the scorched sky shines fiercely in his eyes. And the silver cross around his neck flashes bright. Metatro may be a liar. I do not know exactly what kind of web is being spun here in these wastes. But the machine was right about one thing at least. He referred to my brother as a stranger. And you know what? He spoke true. I love my brother dearly, as I always have, and I always will. But this man who stands before me, he is in part a stranger to me now. I do not know him as I once did. I do not know this man. I want to thank you all for stopping by and listening to the podcast. I know it's been a while. I'm going to make sure that I'm getting these in more consistently. Hopefully once every week to two weeks, I'll have a new episode up. Um, once I get everything fixed and moved around at home, I'll have a more quiet space for me to be doing this. 
Thus, I can record a lot more often. Um, with my work schedule being crazy, um, I've been working 10-hour days, 6 to 7 days a week. Hopefully, things will be starting to settle down soon. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do give it a like and subscribe. Give it a 5-star review. Share it. And, um, yeah, I'll see you guys soon. And as always, a special thank you to Darker Gathers for letting me use his amazing content. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.